Thank you so much for joining us for Ankeny Gospel Church Podcast. On this podcast, you can find sermons, classes, and other resources that continue to invite us into the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. We hope this is a blessing to you, and if we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out. Hi, my name is Mindy, and today's reading is from Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head, because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Let's exchange greetings this morning. Good morning. Let's continue uh, this posture of worship in praying to our, our Father together. So, Father, we know that you are here now in this room. And as our hearts quiet, Lord, I ask that they would do so only so that we can hear you. As the dust settles in our eyes, I ask that we would catch a glimpse of who you are. As Moses prayed in the scriptures, as we just sang now, Lord, we do ask that you would show us your glory. That we would be like Isaiah who just sees the end of your robe fill the temple and shudders, is overwhelmed. Father, we are a people who err in our ways, except but for your grace. So Father, give us your grace, we pray. Give us your mercy. Allow us, give us the strength to live into the identity that you've already given us, son, daughter of you. Father, if there's anybody in this room who is not that, I pray I ask that you would open their eyes. You would soften their heart. You would unstop their ears so that they can go from sinner to saint, from dead to alive. And I ask for all of us in this room who are already found in you that you would hide us in yourself. That our identity would be in nothing else but you. And that as the rains come, as the winds blow, as the storms rage, that we are steadfast because we are built on you, Father. We know that we have life in you and life abundant, so I ask that we would, you would give us that. We would live into that. Father, as the psalmist prays, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. 
and only by the power of the Holy Spirit and in your Son's glorious name that we pray all these things. And all God's people said, Amen. If you haven't already, I invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and turn to Matthew chapter 5. While you're turning there, um, this is a fairly familiar series, but uh, C.S. Lewis has a series called The Chronicles of Narnia, and one of his books is called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And in it, there's this character, Eustace, who's like a little boy, and he's, quite frankly, he's just the worst. He's a brat. He's arrogant. He's prideful. He's the worst. Like, if you think of just a little arrogant little boy, it's like, that's the caricature. Eustace is that character. And through a series, I'm not going to summarize the whole thing, but through a series of events, he finds himself on this, like, uh, island shore thing, and he sees a treasure, and he, like, really likes it, and he's like, oh, I'm going to go get that, because he's greedy, and he's prideful, and he's arrogant, but he's with his other friends, and he kind of separates himself from them, finds this treasure, ends up, it's a dragon horde, I think I said that right, a dragon-like den, basically. He takes a nap on the treasure, He wakes up and he's a dragon and he like has transformed into a dragon and he starts freaking out because his friends don't recognize him. They're about to leave, all this stuff. And he realizes that his pride was going to force him to like stay on that as a dragon forever and he was just going to end up slowly, you know, dying as a dragon. So he, uh, a couple scenes later, Aslan, who is the main character in the Chronicles of Narnia, he's the lion who represents the Christ figure. He comes to Eustace, and Eustace is kind of freaking out, and Aslan's like, you have to go in this, like, lake thing, and so Eustace tries to, to start taking off the scale, because he's become like a dragon, so he has, like, dragon scales on his skin, and he starts to claw at his own skin to try to remove it, to try to transform back into who he was, into a little boy, and it's not working, and he's scraping off scales, and it's kind of hurting, but then underneath those scales are more scales, and he does this three times, And then eventually, and this is profound, he looks to Aslan and he asks him to remove the scales. That's profound because that's how forgiveness works with with Jesus. We, We try to remove our own sin on our own and it's only when we look to Jesus that he will he will do the surgery on our heart. So he looks to Aslan, he says, can you do this? So Aslan takes his claw and he like pierces him right in the chest and it says, it's described as like the most intense pain he's ever felt. Felt like his claw went right through his heart, pierced his heart. And eventually though, the dragon scales and the skin starts to come off. And it's the most painful, Eustace says, it's the most painful experience ever, but it actually saved his life. It was the most painful experience ever, having to humble himself to let go and allow Aslan to remove these scales, but then it ended up saving his life. And later on, he describes it as delicious, which might be like a British way to say good or something. I don't know. But he says it was utterly delicious. And I'm like, that's a little weird. But you get the point. Like later, Eustace was transformed into who he was, into the little boy again. This is what Jesus does if we allow him. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is. It's us with our exterior righteousness of like do-goodness and check boxes and all that stuff and Jesus is like, that's just you trying to scrape the scales off yourself. What you need is a transformed heart. And I don't know about you, but the last few weeks in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount has been convicting, very convicting. Jesus just goes right, he's that claw right in our hearts. He's like, okay, not murdering, that's good, but that's the surface level righteousness. A superior righteousness is not even nursing a grudge against somebody, not having any, any bitterness towards somebody. And if there is, reconcile immediately. 
Adultery, that's just the surface level righteousness. This is what Tom talked about last week. That's just the surface. What, what is real superior righteousness is actually not even having a, 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 that second glance or festering something in your mind or lusting in your heart. And do whatever you can to kill it because it will kill you. Divorce, not God's ideal. And today, if you uh, listen to the, the text today, I remember the first time I got to this, I was like, phew, finally something I don't struggle with because I can't remember the last time I swore an oath by Jerusalem to anybody and, uh, or by heaven or by earth or by the hair on my head. Like I don't, that's not really something I struggle with, which I hate to break it to you and burst your bubble, but the more I was researching this and praying through this and studying this, the more it's like contextually, this is probably one of the most convicting for me because what Jesus gets at here is how we use our words to manipulate situations to get what we want or to make other people think something about us that's not true. And we're gonna find out that that comes from a heart posture of insecurity, fear, and pride. And ultimately, it comes from the devil himself. So, who's ready to jump in? (laughs) Um, Before we do that though, um, I want to ask this question. So, there's two parts to the sermon. Part one and part two. Part one is going to be kind of the Sermon on the Mount in general. Part two will be the text in Matthew 5.33 and following. So before we do, I want to jump in, into this question, and it's going to be on the screen for you. Is it possible to live the Sermon on the Mount? This is a rhetorical question. Don't actually answer. Is it possible to live the Sermon on the Mount? What do I mean by that? Is it possible to actually live out these teachings that Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount? Is it possible to live a life that can be described by the Sermon on the Mount? Here's what I mean. Is it possible to live a life that is happy, whole, content, blessed? Is it, happy to, or is it possible to live a life where you're poor in spirit? You mourn, you're humble, you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you're pure in heart, you're peacemakers, you're persecuted, and the kingdom of heaven is yours. Is it possible? Is it possible to be the salt of the earth, to be the light of the world? Is it possible to have a greater righteousness than the scribes and the Pharisees? Is it possible not just to not murder, but to not have anger and bitterness and resentment in your heart? Is it possible not just to not commit adultery, but also to not lust in your heart? Is it possible to let your yes be yes and your no be no? Is it possible to turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, give to the one who asks of you, with no qualifications? Is it possible to love your enemy, to pray for those who persecute you? Is it possible to be complete and whole as your heavenly Father is complete and whole? Is it possible to not be a hypocrite? Is it possible to store up your treasures on, not store up your treasures on earth, but rather store up your treasures in heaven? Is it possible to not worry about anything, to be free from anxiety? That one hits home. Is it possible to seek first the kingdom of God? Is it possible to not judge? Is it possible to ask, seek, and knock? Is it possible to not um, judge other people's motives? Is it possible to enter through the narrow gate, to hear Jesus' teaching, and do them? I just walked through the Sermon on the Mount. Is that possible? Is it possible to live the Sermon on the Mount? And let me tell you this loud and clear. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. How do I know? Next slide. Jesus says so at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. Therefore, 
everyone who hears these words of mine will be like, what? Nope. Everybody who hears these words of mine will be like, everybody who hears these words of mine and does them. Jesus is assuming that it's possible to live the Sermon on the Mount. Acts on them. You're gonna be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The storms come, the winds come, everything comes, and you're, you're fine. But the opposite, everybody who hears these words of mine and doesn't do them, meaning what? Jesus is expecting his followers that this is possible for his followers to do. It will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Why am I saying all of this? Why, why am I really harping on this point? Because there is a very popular theology that says, I'm just a miserable person. I can't do anything right. God, it's just like lucky that God loves me. I am, I might as well just be miserable for the rest of my life. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. It's a miracle that Jesus loves me because my righteousness is like dirty rags. And I'm gonna tell you this. I'm gonna explain it in a second. That is a lie. Who are you in Christ? You were a sinner, period. You have been saved by grace through faith and this is not of your own doing. You don't rip off the scales yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast. You were a sinner. In Christ, who are you now? Let's look through the New Testament. Saint, holy, beloved. You were dead, now you are alive. You were an old creation, now you are a new creation. You had a old heart, now you have a new heart. You now have, as Paul says in Corinthians, you have the mind of Christ. You are a son and a daughter of the king. You have been clothed in Christ's righteousness. You have been set free from slavery to sin. You are redeemed, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and you are set apart for good works and you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness in the kingdom, into the kingdom of his marvelous light. And I say this because how often do I and do we just sit in sin and just sit there and think that it's a miracle that God loves us? I'm telling you this, it's not a miracle that God loves you. It would be a miracle if God didn't love you because God is love. That's who he is. You were your core identity used to be sinner, but your core, do you still sin? Yes, but your core identity is not sinner anymore. You are a child of the king, beloved. Jesus gave himself for you. So this whole, this, and this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, right? When we enter into Christ, Colossians says that our life is now hidden with Christ in God. So when Christ appears, we appear. So then he says, put to death things that are already dead in you. Jesus is giving us the Sermon on the Mount not as this impossible ideal that we can't live up to, but as a reality that we can live into right now. Here's what Jen Wilkins says, and this is a quote that will be on the screen. I call this view celebratory failureism. Love that phrase. I love it when people coin phrases. It's like Dr. Seuss did it, and then like a couple, Paul did it, and then a couple other people did it. Anyway. I don't know why I said that. Celebratory failureism. The idea that believers cannot obey the law and will fail at every attempt. Furthermore, our failure is ultimately caused to celebrate because it makes grace more beautiful. It asserts that all our attempts to obey will fail, thereby making us the recipients of greater grace. Real quick, pause. That sounds nice. Sounds like, okay, that's nice. This is what she goes on to say, and this is what I'm trying to say too. But God does not exhort us to obey just to teach us that we cannot hope to obey. He exhorts us to obey, to teach us that by grace we can obey and therein lies the hope. Through the gospel, our God cha- excuse me, changes us into those who obey in both motive 
and deed to pursue what is good, right, and pleasing to the Lord. It is not biblical to say, well, I'm miserably hopeless and can't do anything right, so I'll just let go and let God. God has so much more for you than that. God has so much more for you than that. He has this greater righteousness that he supplies us. He gives us himself through his death on the cross. And now we go from like this chart that we've been looking at, the discipleship, we go from just a sin management into a greater righteousness. We no longer have to worry about um, what we're doing wrong and woe is me and all this stuff. We actually can enter into the kingdom of heaven right now. This is what we've been saying. The whole point of the Sermon on the Mount is that we can have a righteousness that surpasses the scribes and the Pharisees because what's the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees? It's just the check boxes. It's just the do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. And what is Jesus saying? He is saying, I have given you a new heart. You were dead. That's who you were. But who are you now? Alive in Christ. Jesus wants to tackle the issues of our heart, the new heart that he's given us. We can hear Jesus' words and we can do them. I say all this to make us people of hope. To make us people of hope. Because if we can't live into this reality, of the, then we have no hope. And we might as well just be miserable. Imagine a people, imagine a people, imagine this room right now, knowing your identity in Christ. This is why Paul, all of Paul's letter, all the letters in the New Testament, they start with what? Identity. Then they get out to practical living and how to do this, that, and the other. Who are you in Christ? What is your core identity? It is now Christ's identity. I say this to give us hope. That we can hold our heads high. Not in arrogance, not because we did anything. We did nothing. We deserve nothing. But because of Christ, we now are changed. We are new humans. We have been transformed from, the insi- transformed from the inside out. So is the Sermon on the Mount possible? Yes, yes it is. And you know it is, because you've seen people, some of you are people who have been walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, should I stop after that? 50, 60 years, whatever. And you, you, you know that like, it's not even possible for somebody to be, in, like their knee-jerk reaction isn't one of impatience. It's one of patience and love. Why? Because for that long, they've been walking with the Lord, being filled with the Spirit, obeying his commands, hearing him, and doing what he says, and they become people of love. And they become people who can actually love their enemy, who can actually not be angry in their heart, who can actually not lust in their eyes. Not just this exterior surface righteousness, but a transformed heart. I say this to give us hope because this is the reality that Jesus has given us. This is the kingdom of heaven right here, right now. Part one of the sermon is over. Part two, Matthew chapter five, verse 33. Um, We are in Jesus' teaching of six examples of greater righteousness, and these are gonna be on the screen right here. Six examples of greater righteousness. Number one is anger. We talked about anger a few weeks ago. What does it look like to have greater righteousness? It's not just not murdering, it's not being angry in your heart, not nursing resentment or holding a grudge. Last week, uh, Tom tackled number two and three, lust and divorce. What is God's ideal 
God's ideal is that you don't take advantage of other people, but you selflessly love and serve other people in your eyes, in your mind, in your heart, in your commitments. Today we're going to talk about oaths. Next week we're going to talk about retaliation and enemy love. It just keeps, it just, just keeps getting better and better. Today, though, we're going to talk about oaths. Um, so look with me at verse 33 of chapter 5. It says this, again, You have heard that it was said, this is the fourth example of again it was said or you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. Okay, again, the first time I read this I was like, sweet. Can't remember the last time I swore, maybe you were in court or something, you put your hand on a Bible and swore an oath but I can't remember the last time I swore an oath. why, Why this command? Why is Jesus bringing this one up? Well, if you remember, one of the Ten Commandments is do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Do not carry, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And so we live in a very um, literate society. There's paper everywhere. Everybody can read and write. In Jesus' day, it was less so. In Moses' day, it was even more less so. And so what they did, all they had was their word. I recently just, like a couple months ago, I bought a car. I was shocked at how many pieces of paper I had to sign just to buy a used car. It was crazy. But they do that, why? So that you don't, you know, say one thing, like, okay, I'm gonna pay this amount and all this stuff, and then end up not doing that thing. We have paper now and emails and all that stuff that we can track that and we can hold you accountable for that. But then it was just like, all you had was your word. All you had was your word. So if you said one thing, and then did another, that was not okay. So what happened in this society is that people would, would use a, something greater than them to validate what they were trying to say and do. So let's do a little thought experiment. Two ancient Jewish neighbors, right? Ancient Israelite neighbors. One of them has a donkey. One of them doesn't have a donkey. The one who has a donkey, it's like gone the next day, and he blames his neighbor. You stole my donkey. You did this. He's like, I didn't do it. And so he's like, okay, we're going to court. They go to local elders, local court. This guy who got his donkey stolen, he's like, he stole my donkey. I swear, I swear by the name of Yahweh and all that is good in this life, okay? What they would do, what he did in that moment, whether or not he could prove it or not, what he did in that moment is he took something greater than himself to validate what he was saying in order to make it seem more serious. A couple days later, that dude's cousin borrowed his donkey and returned it. He's like, oh, oops, um, well, I just swore by Yahweh. What happened in that moment? The name of Yahweh was defamed. It was ruined. It was taken in vain. That's kind of the impetus of the, that commandment, the Ten Commandments. Don't, don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. So what they did is they created laws saying like, okay, don't do that. Don't swear by Yahweh's name. So then, of course, as people do, they always find loopholes. So they wouldn't swear by Yahweh's name they would swear by something else, but equally as important. So they would swear by heaven. Be like, okay, I swear, I'm not gonna swear by Yahweh's name because that's breaking the 10 commandments. I swear by heaven. I swear by earth. I swear by Jerusalem. I swear by all the gold. Later in Matthew, Jesus says, you swear by all the gold in the temple. Like, what good is that? You swear by the altar. You swear by the gift on the altar. Like, what are you, what are you doing? So there was this whole system of rules and regulations of what you could swear by, and it was like a hierarchy. Well, I swear by the temple. Well, I swear by the gold in the temple. Well, I, I swear by the builders of the gold in the temple. I don't know. It was just, it was absolutely ridiculous. And what was going on in those moments that people did that? What they were doing is their words meant nothing apart from a more powerful or more serious or more significant thing that brought, um, uh, like, bolstered their own words. 
And what does Jesus say to this? He reads that verse, you must not break your oaths, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. And then verse 34, look what Jesus says. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all. Don't, don't do it at all. Either by heaven, because it is God's throne, or by the earth, because it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, because it is the city of the great king. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is saying, it's not enough to say, I swear, like, people would say, I swear by Yahweh's name. I swear by the name of Yahweh. And then they made this whole system, like, okay, well, I'll swear by heaven, by earth. And what is Jesus doing? He's like, that, who's in heaven? Yahweh, God. Who's on earth? Yahweh, God, who's in Jerusalem? It's a city of the great king. No matter what you swear to, no matter what you try to bolster your own claim by, it's all God's. Everything is God's. Heaven is God's, the earth is God's, the temple is God's, Jerusalem is God's. He goes on in verse 36, don't even swear by your head. You can't, you don't have control over anything. Can you make your hair, naturally speaking, can you make your hair white or black? Obviously, like, you can dye it. But naturally speaking, can you make your hair white or black? Answer, no, you cannot. Why? It's not yours. It's God's. Everything is God's. So Jesus is just leveling the playing field here. He's saying, like, don't become the types of people that when you say something but you don't mean it, your fingers are crossed behind your back, and you're like, oh, well, it didn't happen. It didn't work out. I didn't mean it. Well, my fingers are crossed. Just be a truth teller. <laughs> Don't try to bolster your claim by saying something or by repeating yourself a bunch or by saying, well, I swear or I promise or I swear to God or I swear by my mother's grave. Like, I don't know why that's a thing, but that's a thing. I swear by, like all these things, what are you doing? You're trying to bolster your claim with the power of something else and that is ultimately taking advantage of God because everything is God's. Everything is God's. Heaven is God's, the earth is God's. No matter what you swear by, what you're doing is you're misusing the name of the Lord your God, period. Dallas Willard says this, uh, this quote in his book, The Divine Conspiracy. The essence of swearing that Jesus targets here is about invoking something or someone else, especially God, to make your words seem more significant and more weighty. The aim is to impress others with your seriousness or your piety so that you get what you want. It's a device of manipulation designed to override the judgment or the input of others in order to possess them for our purposes. It's manipulation, or as we say in our culture, spin. And Jesus says it's evil. Instead of loving and honoring others with truthfulness, the intent is to get one's way by verbal manipulation of the thoughts and choices of others. This is some serious stuff. They did it by swearing to heaven and the temple and the gold and the temple and the earth and Jerusalem and all that's in that. How do we do it today? How do we do this today? Well, how do you present yourself to others with your words? Do you exaggerate? Do you name drop? Do you make things seem bigger or less than or more significant or worse than they actually are? Do you try to bring something or someone else into the situation in order to make you sound more serious, in order that you can get your way, in order that you can do what you want? Do you use the tools of social media and phones and all this stuff to paint a picture 
of you that is not actually you? Do you have to say the same thing 15 times before somebody actually believes you? These might be examples of what Jesus is talking about here. I said earlier, it comes from a heart posture of insecurity, fear, and pride. Why? If you have to use something or someone else in order to make your, manipulate a situation so that people can think about you in a certain way, you're, it's, that's textbook insecurity. You're hiding from something. You're not allowing yourself to be fully seen and fully known and fully loved by the people that are supposed to fully see, fully know, and fully love you. What about people-pleasing? Well, I'll say yes, because I know that if I don't, then I'm gonna be, no. What does Jesus say? Verse 37. But let your yes mean yes, and your no mean no. Who are disciples of Jesus? They are truth tellers. What they say is what they mean. I have been preaching for about a year and I have yet to quote The Office and it's surprising because of how much I love The Office so I'm gonna quote it right now, so you're welcome. Pop star analyst Kelly Kapoor says in one of her episodes, Daryl Philbin is the most complicated man I have ever met. I mean, who says exactly what's on their mind? I love that. It's like, who says exactly? Christ followers do. When we say yes, we mean yes. Simple as that. When we say no, we mean no. Notice he doesn't say, and let your maybe be maybe, and let your probably be probably. This is decisive. This is yes. This is no. If you're going to say something, do it. If you're going to do something, say that you're going to do that. If you're not going to, don't say anything at all. Convicting enough? That's not all. The last sentence of verse 37. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Some of your translations might say evil. It could be both, evil, the evil one. I tend to like CSB's translation of the evil one. Who is the evil one? The devil, who is the devil? The father of lies. When we use words and we mean something that we don't say and we say something that we don't mean and we do something that we said we're not gonna do and we don't do something that we said we're going to do, who are we more like, Jesus or the devil? He's saying here, you are more like the devil because he is the father of lies. What happened in Genesis 3? It wasn't a flat out lie, it was a manipulation of the truth. When we do the same thing, we are more like a son of the devil than we are a son of the king. James 5 says the exact same thing. James in James 5, he's, I think he's quoting Jesus, and he says, don't swear by anything, by heaven, by earth, by anything else, but let your yes mean yes, and let your no mean no. Anything more is from the evil one. Jesus wants your heart. He wants your superior righteousness. He demands it. He also supplies it. He gives it to us. So when it comes to anger, when it comes to lust, when it comes to divorce, and now when it comes to using our words, what type of person are you becoming? That's always the question. What type of person are you becoming? Are you becoming the type of person that fosters this, 
this verbal manipulation and these little white subtle lies because if you're doing that now, what does that mean you're going to become? But if you're the type of person now who's, who's, uh, who's repentant, who's saying, okay, Lord, I, I have messed up in this area. I'm going to ask for forgiveness and I'm going to move forward knowing that I have forgiveness and I'm gonna start letting my yes mean yes and my no mean no. What type of person are you gonna become? You're gonna become a person that the Sermon on the Mount is true of. You're going to become the person that is filled with Jesus and the fruit is not stapled on or taped on, it's actually the natural outpouring of your heart. And I just wanna, I just wanna end with this. Imagine what type of people we would be in a world where truth has no validity at all. Everybody says, gotta be careful, many people say things that they don't mean all the time. Imagine a people that actually said what they meant and meant what they said. Sounds very simple, but it's very hard. Imagine a people who when anger hit their heart, they reconciled right away. Imagine a people who when uh, 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 lustful thoughts crossed their mind, they got rid of them right away. What type of people would that be? I've got a few ideas. You'd be the salt of the earth. You'd be the light of the world. You'd be blessed. You'd be content. You'd be happy. You wouldn't worry about tomorrow. You would be in Christ. You'd be poor in spirit. You'd have the kingdom of heaven. You'd be a peacemaker. You'd inherit the earth. You would be mourn and you would be com- you would mourn and you would be comforted. You would be pure in heart and you would be able to see God right here right now. Imagine a people who let their yes mean yes and let their no mean no. Let's pray. Father, we give you glory. We confess that we do not always see or know our identity. God, I ask that we would look to you and live. That you would lift up our heads, you would lift up our eyes. That we would become pe- we we would become people that the sermon on the mount would be true of. God, I ask that we would become people of love, that we would be so overwhelmed with your love, your life, that it just overflows from us. God, I ask that we would become people who reconcile with others, who are the first to drop the sword, who are humble, who open our hands, who repent, who don't try to scrape off the, the own, our own scales on ourselves, but we rather let go and we let you transform us into the image of your son. Father, I ask that today, for some people, this would be a pivotal moment where they would realize who they are becoming by the decisions they're making and they would change. And Father, for, all of us, for, for those of us here who are making decisions, who are seeking you, who are found in you, I ask for an endurance. I ask for a peace. I ask for a hope. God, you've filled us with hope. Hope does not put us to shame. And Father, fill us with your love. Thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this people. Thank you for this church. Thank you for your son. We love you and we give this time to you. We give this day to you and we give our lives to you. And we pray all this in your son's name and by the power of the spirit. Amen.
Thanks again for listening, and we pray this was a blessing to you. If you have any questions or comments about what you heard, our email is info at com, or you can find us on social media at Gospel. Thank you.